0: Dear listeners, in this episode, we take a deep dive into IUL policy design and we'll be talking about a lot of numbers. If you find yourself having trouble following along, head over to our YouTube channel to watch the video version of this episode. Link in description. Hello and welcome to the You're an Asset podcast. I'm your host, Casey the Dollar. And on this podcast, we find out who's an asset in the financial industry. And who's just an ass? On this week's episode, I'm about to teach you how to set up an IUL incorrectly. Whether you're somebody who sells insurance. Whether you have an IUL yourself or whether you're in the market to purchase one or just learn about them, this episode is for you, my friend. I'm going to teach you everything you need to know so that you can spot a shitty policy. You, you might be thinking, is it really possible to set up an IUL wrong? Uh, yes. Yes, it is. It is actually What happens majority of the time when it comes to cash value life insurance policies? Agents set them up incorrectly. So we're going to go over how and why they do that and how you can find out if your policy is set up incorrectly or not. And then at the very end of this episode, I will show you how the policy should have been set up. So make sure you listen to the full podcast to find out how these shitty policies could have been set up to maximize cash accumulation and get the most out of the policy. If you think I'm an asset for doing this, can you put a, a star-eyed emoji in the comment section for me, please? If you don't think I'm an asset, feel free to drop a peach emoji. That That is our sign for asses on this show. <laughs> um, where I also think that indexed universal life insurance policies are assets and why it drives me so freaking insane that people mess them up so badly for their clients. And it's not always the agent's fault, okay? Um, A lot of times they really think they're doing their best. A lot of times agents really think they're doing their best and that they have the client's best interest in mind when they set up a policy incorrectly, which is the saddest part because they're oblivious to how it could have been done. But other times... They're not oblivious to how it could have been set up. And what they're going for is a higher commission. We know that there are greedy people out there. There's greedy people in every single industry. But when it comes to finances, it's some of the worst, right? Because we're talking about someone's livelihood. We're talking about their finances, their financial future. And when you mess with someone's money, I don't know how you sleep at night. So what things can be manipulated inside an IUL that would result in the policy being set up correctly? Well. The amount of coverage can be manipulated. The death benefit option, the funding strategy can be manipulated. Um, Riders can or cannot be included on policies, which riders make policies more expensive. If you're purchasing a policy and you don't know that extra riders were added to the policy, ultimately increasing the cost of your policy, agents just making extra money off of you. Something that's unfortunate about this topic is the idea that every single policy has to be set up per individual. As in, just because something works for one person or a group of people does not mean that it works for somebody else. The variables that come into play here are gender, age, health status, and the amount of money that you're contributing to your policy. Depending on these variables, there is a correct way to set up a policy for somebody. Also, the length of funding. Some people pay into their policy for 20 to 30, even 40 years. Some people only pay into their policy for 5 to 10. That is going to help determine the structure of the policy as well. So there is not one right way, which does make this even harder, but it also makes it easier to to mess up. So... I'm going to give you an example, okay, based on a 30-year-old male contributing $300 a month. I'm going to start with this example. We are going to have other examples with different ages and different funding amounts. And $300 a month is adequate funding for a 30-year-old, okay? That actually is correct. I would gladly set up a 30-year-old to fund a policy for $300 a month. It is going to be a long-term fund. Um, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Well, not 40, 35, right? Retirement age, 65. So we're going to call him John, just like I do in all of my examples about, about hypothetical IUL clients. So John comes to me, he's 30, he's healthy, and uh, he wants an IUL and he has no insurance. So what can go wrong? Well, Numbers are going to come up on the on the screen here, and I am looking at them on my phone. So, John, he's putting three hundred dollars a month into his policy. We can see um, a couple things right off the bat. What I can see is the initial death benefit, five hundred thousand dollars of death benefit coverage. Okay, John didn't have any insurance. All right, so we're getting him covered. The death benefit option is option one level a level death benefit means that the amount of coverage is not going to change it's going to be five hundred thousand dollars at day one and it's going to stay at half a million dollars throughout the life of the policy until john collateralizes the policy meaning he pays off the cost of insurance then at that point which could be um at any point depends on when when john puts enough money into the policy that he covers the cost of insurance At that point, premium and interest will add to the value of the death benefit. Okay, so we can see those two things already, the amount of coverage and the death benefit option. We also see the monthly premium of $300. And then we see this row of numbers that says $3,600. Each year, $300 a month is $3,600 a year. Okay, now there are three different columns in, in this illustration, and if we look at the very far column, we can see it says non-guaranteed, right? There's an annual interest rate of 5.43%, which is very conservative. You also see fixed account 3%. Since since I set this up, right, and I'm setting it up poorly, I still did right by this person by allocating their money to separate indexes. I put uh, 80% of the money into the market, tracking three separate indexes, and I put 20% of the money earning a guaranteed 3% per year. So that's why we see index credits and fixed account, right? So I did something right in this policy, but we are looking at the non-guaranteed assumed. So there is the account value and the cash value or the net cash surrender value, okay? Your account value is the overall value of the policy and what you earn interest on and the net cash surrender value is the amount of money that's in your cash value that you have the ability to loan yourself, all right? Or withdrawal. Um but we mainly talk about loaning ourselves money here, right? Because loans are tax-free. And then the last column is the death benefit and we see that 500,000. So, what happened here? We are putting in $300 a month, we're paying $3600 a year. The account is valued at 1821 on year 1. And there's $0 in the cash value. Year two, there's still $0 in the cash value. And year three and year four, there's nothing in the cash value, even by year four. And the account is valued at $7,700 on year four. He's still got $500,000 of death benefit. If we look all the way to year 10, the amount of money that he contributed is $36,000. And his Liquid cash value has $19,568 in it. He's still got half a million dollars of insurance. The account is valued at $21,000, but not even the money that he contributed is available in his cash value. We're way off as far as him breaking even on his contributions to this policy, but he's got a lot of death benefit. If we were to keep going and look at year 20, on year twenty, he contributed seventy two thousand dollars. His cash value is sitting at sixty grand. The value of his policy is also sitting at sixty grand. He's still twelve grand short, but he's got half a million dollars over his head. You keep going. Let's look at it. age seventy. One hundred and forty four thousand dollars went in. He's got two thirty two, two hundred and thirty two thousand. So at that point, he he's got more money into the policy, but uh. If he doesn't keep paying for the policy, the policy is going to lapse. We can see if we go over to the guaranteed column. Policy lapses uh, at age 68, even though he keeps funding it. This is a really, really sad policy. A really sad policy. Now, I've talked about this before, minimums and maximums, okay? So I want to go over those so you guys have some real-time examples on a really bad policy of, of what those look like. They're way up at the top here, and the first one is called the minimum. We have a minimum annual contribution. Remember that he's contributing $3,600, okay? The minimum per year is $2,800, $2,865. He's reaching that, right, which that's good. But then on top of that, we have the target premium. The target premium is your goal amount that you want to get into this policy. His target premium is $6830. $6,830 $6,830 is his goal amount to get into this policy. We're not even close to that. We're 3,000, we're $3200 off from meeting the goal contribution of this policy. Now, it gets worse, right? Because if we look across and look for the seven pay, the seven pay annual is the max contribution for the first 7 years of the policy. And that number Is $29,000. $29,000 could go into this policy each of the first seven years. And John is paying $3,600. That means he's not even close to fully funding this policy. He's not making the most of his money whatsoever. And we can see that by looking at the cash value. Now, what's wrong with this policy? How did this happen? Why? If you know me and you heard me talk about this before, you might already have a a, a guess that it's way too much death benefit. The agent, which in this case is me, who wrote this illustration, gave the client way too much death benefit. When John came to me and said, hey, I want to pay $300 a month, I set John up to pay the minimum and it gave him as much insurance as I could and did not have his money working for him at all. But John's covered with insurance. He's got half a million dollars over his head. Uh, But I don't even have him set up to contribute the target premium, which is really important. I wouldn't even set my clients up to only contribute the target premium, you guys. This is an insane amount of death benefit for the amount of money. It is not beneficial to the client whatsoever. And ultimately, the policy is going to lapse. So the problem with this is that there's there's too much death benefit. We didn't want to pay for death benefit. We wanted cash value. We're not seeing cash value growth. But what if, what if we give him the minimum amount of death benefit, right? Let's look at it. What we see is the death benefit drops drastically. It's at $197,233. That's more than half of the half a million dollars we just saw, okay? So that's good. That's a good sign. It's a lot less death benefit. The death benefit option is still level. We're still paying $300. I'm still running this at a 5.43% annual return. And if we go over to the account value on year one, the account value is now $2,735. You got $2,725 earning interest out of the $3,600. But we can see our net cash surrender value has $0 in it. So we're still we're still not seeing a cash value grow on year one. Now the death benefit is that one ninety seven, and we see that that lasts all through those first ten years. At the end of ten years, you put in thirty six thousand, and you have a liquid thirty two thousand two hundred and seventy two dollars. The account's valued at thirty three thousand. We almost have our contribution back. We we're only missing um, a little over three grand. So that's that's a huge difference. A huge difference. We gained more than ten thousand dollars just by using the minimum death benefit. However, this policy is still not set up correctly. Why is there not a cash value on year one? Did the client really need to have $197,000 of death benefit from the beginning? Well, let's go look at those guidelines again. Okay, if we look at the guidelines, the minimum went down to $1,200 per year. Cool. Your target went way down. The target contribution into this policy is, $2,694, $2,700. $2,694, $2,700. Okay. We're beating that. Thank God, right? But let's look at their seven pay. Their seven pay is $11,469. So they're putting in 3600 and they could still put up to $11,000 into this policy for seven years in a row, meaning they're not fully funding the policy. Policy could take a lot more money. And that's why we're not seeing this cash value growth like we should. But How do we change those guidelines, and what is the problem here? Remember uh, how I pointed out in the beginning that death benefit option? The level death benefit is the problem here. The level death benefit is causing all of this. If we chose a different death benefit option, I'll tell you right now, we're not going to have this problem. We're not going to have this problem, but you're going to have to wait to, to see what John could have had for his $300. So at this point, What if we have a person of a different age, right? Different age, more money. Are we going to get different results? Well, let's look at a 45-year-old female, standard health, $500 a month, and let's put a half a million dollar death benefit on it. If we go and we look at the policy, we got $500,000 death benefit. We got a level death benefit option. We got $500 a month going in, still using the same 5.43% return. And we look at the cash value and zero, zero, zero. But half a million dollars of coverage. This woman would have put in 60 grand at the end of 10 years. And her cash value has $36,000 in it. She's almost missing half of her money. So again, in this situation, it's way too much death benefit. If we go check out her seven pay, seven pays 36 grand. There's a $30,000 of room in the first seven years that she's not putting into the policy. And she could. The minimums on this policy, we got a required minimum of $4,200 a year and a target premium for the year of $10,320. She's only putting in six grand. This is way too much death benefit again. So if you want to screw people over, just give them a lot more death benefit th- than what they need. <laughs> that That's a great way to get a huge commission. Um, and it's a great way for the client to not see a return on on their money and have nothing in their cash value compared to what they contributed. But let's look at minimum death benefit for this example, okay? We use the minimum death benefit with a level policy. Is it going to make a difference? Let's find out. 45-year-old female, $500 a month. Minimum death benefit. We only have $243,000 of death benefit. Still a level death benefit option. More than half. Of the death benefit goes away. She's still putting in six grand. And on year one, we still have nothing in the cash value. By the end of 10 years, she put in 60,000. She's got 53,000. Same thing as before. We're doing all right, but we're still missing seven grand. We have not seen a return on the contribution. We don't have more money in our cash value than we contributed. If we keep going, if we look at age 65 for this person, they contributed 120 grand. And they have 157000 So a measly $37,000 gain. Um, still the same death benefit. And they're at retirement age. This was a 20-year period. No one can retire on, retire on $157,000. I don't see any value in this policy. I don't know how agents could sell this type of policy to anyone. And I hope it goes without saying that why would an agent do this? Well, they would do this because the more death benefit they sell, the more commission they make. They don't want to give you the minimum because that means they're taking the smallest commission possible. Whereas Power Fee Financial, we, we purposely do this to ourselves, not because we don't want to get paid, but because I want to be able to sleep at night. I, I don't understand how you could mess with someone's money and do this to somebody. But ultimately, you know, people do this all the time. And so level death benefit is the problem here. Once again, what happens with a level death benefit is that the policy is set up to start out with the most amount of insurance and the client has to collateralize it over time. And if they're barely hitting the target, which in this case, the target's 5000 but they're barely hitting it, uh, they could have put $17,000 into this policy. Now, what if what if she's got $1,000 a month to spare? Okay. Is that going to make a difference? Let's let's check it out. If we take our 45-year-old, we give her a level death benefit, but we do the minimum, right? And she pays $1,000 a month, 12 grand a year, which is quite a lot of money. Now the death benefit is $492,000. It's still not half a million. You guys, it's still not half a million. Unless you are contributing a ton of money you're not going to get a half a million dollars in your iul you you just aren't so that should be your for, your first warning sign right there if you see a death benefit higher than half a million dollars you should know from that moment they're overselling you on the death benefit you're not going to have a cash value like that's just as simple as it is but so let's check it out she's putting 12 grand a year on year one, does she have a cash value? No. Ah, uh, on year ten, she's contributed one hundred and twenty grand. Cash value's got one hundred and seven thousand dollars in it. She's still missing thirteen grand. She she still does not have all of her money in her cash value. If we go to her retirement age of sixty five, we see that she's contributed two hundred and forty thousand. At that point. She's got three hundred and eighteen thousand. What is that? Seventy-eight grand. Nothing to get excited about. Nothing to get excited about. And something I want to point out here, because I mentioned that a level death benefit means you have to collateralize the policy. You have to pay off the cost of insurance in order for the death benefit to increase. The death benefit does not increase even at this point when she's put in two hundred and forty thousand dollars. The death benefit still has not budged from the $492,000 that we started with. Because I'm not pulling any income out of this policy, we can see that a few years later, the death benefit does finally increase. Let's see what year that is. Year 26, when she's 70 years old, we finally see the death benefit go up to $499,578. Uh, it, it took 26 years. And two hundred and forty grand for the death benefit to be paid off and for it to go up. Uh, it's just insane. And if she were to take a loan, guess what? The death benefit drops. She's not even going to have the almost half a million dollars of coverage that she's been paying for this whole time. Okay, so too much death benefit will ruin a policy. And a level death benefit is going to ruin a policy. Now, I talked about riders. Um, It's hard to illustrate um, different riders being added to policies, and every policy has different riders that can be added, okay? What I want to let you guys know about is that you will be able to see the riders added to your policy listed on the illustration, and riders cost money. If there are riders added, you are paying for them. So it is important to ask the person you're working with, are there any added riders in this policy, right? And if you are, what are they? And some riders come with a policy, okay? Like the living benefits I've talked about, the critical, chronic, and terminal illness rider, a lot of times those come with the policy. We can't remove them. You're getting those as part of getting this insurance policy. But there are things like accidental death benefit riders, right? Right. Where if you get into an accident that's not a natural death um, or it's not from a a sickness, right, they can add what's called an accidental death benefit rider saying like, hey, you got into an accident because you fell off a cliff and you died, which is that's an accident. That's not natural causes or old age, right, or, or a sickness. And so they add these riders to your policy saying like, oh, we want to plan for any case scenario. No, you're adding things to the policy to get a bigger commission and ultimately having less cash value in your policy for the client. Um, So make sure you ask about them. They'll be abbreviated. You know, accidental death benefit rider is going to say ADBR. ESVR could be at the top for an enhanced surrender value rider. Um, You don't want this either. Now, that might sound like you want it, but it costs a lot of money. So don't let agents add things. Always ask about riders and look through your policy and try to find these abbreviations. Point them out. Say, what is this? What is added to the policy? Or does it come with it? A lot of times it's right above the numbers, the projections of the illustration, or it's at the very, very bottom on the last page where there's usually a detailed summary. Okay? so. We set up bad policies for, for two different clients um, with adequate funding, right? The, the funding was not the problem in these illustrations. The amount of death benefit and the death benefit option were the problem. So let's look at what could have happened to John with his $300 if his policy was set up correctly. Okay, so first thing, the death benefit now minimum death benefit for $300 a month, which is $3,600 a year, we have an initial death benefit of $61,914. You guys, it's, that's a third of what the level death benefit was. And you can see the initial death benefit option is return of premium, right? You want to see return of premium or an increasing death benefit as your death benefit option. You do not want to see level. So we've got John set up with a return of premium death benefit option and an initial death benefit of about $62,000. If we go check out the cash value, would you look at that? Year one, $1,493 already in the cash value. Now let's look at year 10. Year 10, he's put in $36,000. We go over, his cash value is $34,858. Now look at the death benefit. The death benefit has $97,914 in it. If you were to take the initial death benefit of $61,914, add $36,000 to it, you would get $97,914 because in this illustration, the client's contribution is added to the death benefit to increase the death benefit as time goes on. And as the client ages, as he's contributing money, he increases his death benefit. The death benefit holds his contribution safe. And he has a portion of it liquid, right? And if, his, if he were to pass away, his family would get the initial death benefit he purchased and all of his money that he contributed. That is how it should be done. Let's go look at year 30, where he's contributed the $108,000. Now he's got $212,000. Now we've made over a hundred grand in the cash value, over a hundred thousand dollars, all because of the death benefit option. And the death benefit now is at 284,000, which is more than the level death benefit that was still the minimum on the other one. He got a hundred grand more in his cash value and more death benefit just because we gave him the minimum death benefit to start out with, and and did right by him. It's as simple as that. Now let's look at the guidelines for this policy. The minimum for John per year is six hundred and twenty three dollars. His target now is eight hundred and forty five dollars. Is John surpassing his target? Yeah, by almost three grand. By almost three grand. And what is the seven pay? 3,600. He is max funding this policy. His seven pay matches his actual contribution. That is what you want to do for your clients. That is how you want your policy to be set up. Now, if if John is listening and he's saying, but Casey, what if I want to put more than $300 into my policy in the future? Okay. Okay. That's where an agent comes in to strategize with you as far as. Is there a rider that we can use to increase the size of your policy later? Or how much room would we feel comfortable adding to your policy that isn't ultimately going to be too much death benefit, isn't going to make the policy too big, and is going to allow you to still make the most out of the policy? I want your money to work as hard as possible. I'm not going to set you up in a massive policy that you don't end up max funding. If you end up in a position where you can put another $500 towards the policy, then let's open a second policy. Let's max out one and open a brand new one. You can have as many IULs as you want. Why try to to plan for an unknown future by messing up the policy we have now? IULs are contracts. We can't just start over. We can't just change what has been done. So it's it's really important to, to understand the guidelines on your policy. And it's really important that um, the agent you're working with goes over them with you to make sure that you understand your limitations of this policy. And so that you, in your head, go, okay, I'm paying four grand. My seven pay is 4,500. Okay, this policy is the right size for me. I have a little bit of extra room, not too much room, and I'm not being oversold death benefit. Let's look at our 45-year-old. Our 45-year-old female who is contributing $500 a month minimum death benefit, starting out hundred dollars We got return of premium. She's put in $60,000 at the end of year 10. Would you look at that? She's got $61,396. By year 10, she's already surpassed her contribution. Not by much, okay? But she surpassed her contribution because of a simple change. On year one, she already had a cash value of $2,200. This is giving her way more value than the level death benefit. And just like before, she put in $60,000. She purchased a $100,000 death benefit. By the end of 10 years, her death benefit is now $160,000. If she were to pass away, her family would get the hundred dollars and all of the money she contributed. Now, let's look at retirement age for her. Hundred and twenty grand went in, and she's got $176,000. Not bad. We're talking about a $56,000 gain. That is what we want to see. We want to see that the money is not going to pay the the death benefit. We want to see the gain in there. Now, the $500 a month for this client at 45, it's just a little low, okay? If we're being honest, at 45, $500 is a little bit low for an IUL. However, she's still has more than she contributed. And she has over 200 grand over her head. And this is only at a 5.43% return. So hopefully we're going to do a lot better than the 5.43. Let's look at her guidelines, her seven pay, 7263 This In this case, she has a little bit more room for funding. Not by much, right? $1,200 extra per year that she could put into the policy, meaning this policy is not showing its full potential. She has a little bit more flexibility as far as adding more money to her policy. But what's her minimum? $948. So worst case scenario, she gets $948 into this policy and we are good to go. The flexibility that comes from setting up policies correctly is unbeatable. You cannot do your client any more of a favor than giving them a window of, of flexibility As far as the contributions go, if you're looking at your a 45 year old client and you're saying, hey, you want to pay six grand a year, but worst case scenario, all you need to do is pay a thousand bucks a year. The client finds a sense of relief in that. Every single time I go over illustrations with clients, they can't believe that that's a possibility because insurance is talked so badly about that no one thinks that's possible. And it's hard for them to believe, but I'm showing them real numbers, right? Like this is real time. And I've said it before, but I've had clients only pay the minimum or only pay the target and then stop funding their policy for the year because life happens. This is the best thing that you can do for your client. Give them the minimum death benefit, set them up with a return of premium death benefit option or the increasing death benefit option. And what you do if you set up a policy with the increasing death benefit, what you do ultimately is you change it to a level death benefit when they stop funding the policy so that the death benefit stops increasing and it levels out, right? Meaning that the cost of insurance doesn't keep going up. You don't keep, keep increasing the coverage, okay? Now, let's look at the $1,000 example for our 45 year old client and see what happens when she now puts her twelve dollars towards the policy with the minimum death benefit. Initial death benefit? $172,000 return of premium. If we look at year one, she puts in $12,000. She's got $5,400 in her cash value. End of year one, done. By the end of year 10, she put in $120,000. She's got $125,000 in her cash value. Now she's seen a return on her money by more than $1,000. bucks. we are almost seeing $6,000 um, gained already in the first 10 years. The death benefit's up to $292,000. If we go to retirement age for this person, two hundred and forty grand went in twenty year period. She's got three hundred and fifty nine thousand dollars. Death benefits at four hundred and thirty eight. And what I did to show you guys is I started taking a thirty thousand dollar income for this person annually for the rest of her life. That twelve grand a year minimum death benefit return a premium death benefit option for a 20 year funding period resulted in the client taking a $30,000 tax free annual income for the rest of her life. That $30,000 was never going to come out of the other policies we looked at. So if we look at when she's when she's 95, okay? She put in 240,000, she took out 900 grand. And if we go to the death benefit, if she were to pass away at that point, her family's still going to get $289,000 because At this point, the value of the policy is $2.4 million. That 5.43% interest was being added to $2.4 million. And that's the power of loaning money from an IUL, is that the value of your policy never decreases. Even through retirement, the value of your policy keeps going up. You keep earning interest on a bigger and bigger number, meaning that you can keep taking that income over and over and over again. She would not have been able to get this kind of money out of the level policy or the policy with the higher death benefit. Absolutely not. No way. This was a lot of information, you guys. A lot of information. And it's only a couple different examples. And like I mentioned in the beginning, there are a lot of ways to set up these policies. I hope this gives you at least a tiny bit of insight as to how particular you have to be when it comes to setting up a policy with a cash value. There are guidelines involved. There are death benefit options involved. There's funding structures involved. There are so many variables that are more important than your age and and your health and your gender, right? Um, You have to be working with somebody who has your best interest in mind. You just do, or you could end up with a huge death benefit or a level death benefit and not seeing your money grow whatsoever. And then it's a contract. You can't get out of it. And there's there's nothing that we can do as agents to change that. So you want to set up a bad policy for your clients or or you want to find out if your policy is set up incorrectly, check out the death benefit option. Check out how much you've contributed and where your cash value is at. Check out how much death benefit you have. If you've had your policy for over 10 years, You might be eligible to transfer into a new policy and have a a correctly designed policy from this point on. If it's younger than 10 years, unfortunately, you'd have to pay a surrender charge, which is usually a 10 percent penalty to cancel the policy and, and move it somewhere else. If you need help, if you have questions, if you have a policy, if you don't have a policy, please reach out to Power3 Financial this is what we do. We specialize in cash value life insurance. We do this every day. We want you to be successful. That is our goal. And we want to be able to sleep at night. And we know what other agents do. And we pride ourselves on the fact that we don't do this. I'll take the smallest commission every single time if it means that somebody else um, has a better financial future. So anyway, like I mentioned in the beginning, if you think I'm an asset, put an emoji with the stars in the comments. If you don't think I'm an asset, put the peach. If you have questions you want to drop them in the comment section, please do. You can always send your questions to Power3 Financial by emailing us at info at power3financial.com. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Casey the Dollar, And you can also follow Power3 Financial at Power3 Financial on TikTok and Instagram. I hope you guys got a lot of value from this episode. I'm definitely open to doing other examples of numbers you guys want to see. Send them in. Let me know what would be good information. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the You're an Asset podcast, where we find out who is an asset in the financial industry and who's just an ass. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Bye. Your an Asset podcast is not giving financial advice. We are not licensed financial advisors and our licensing is strictly in insurance products. The information that we talk about is specific to the products that we work with. We cannot guarantee that other agents will have the same product features that we discuss on the show.